Welcome to the Full 60 featuring Craig Custance and presented by The Athletic. Each week, we'll dive into the biggest stories in hockey while bringing in unique voices to entertain and explain all aspects of the game. Hey, this is Craig, and welcome to this week's episode of The Full 60. And I am thrilled to be joined by Dan Hamhuis, who announced his retirement. And in very typical, understated fashion, I was reading a Q&A that Thomas Trance did in, in The Athletic with you, Dan. And, and you, I like that you were like, I didn't realize this was going to be a big deal that your retirement would be a big deal, but it is a big deal. So congratulations, first of all. Thank you. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't really realize that either. And then uh, we got a kind of a flood of text messages and people were telling me that it was all over the internet and social media and I was a little bit surprised and, but yeah, it was, uh, I'm kind of glad that the, uh, the announcement, I guess, if that's what it was, is, is kind of behind me, but neat to connect with everybody that's reached out. And for someone like you, you've never been one that's like eager to grab the spotlight. But what was the best part about? I'm sure you hear from people you haven't heard from. Like, what were some of the best people to reach out? Um, you know what? It's just been a whole mix of guys over my career, from you know the early years in Nashville through to Vancouver guys and Dallas and uh, back to current teammates again, Hockey Canada people that I played with, and and then of course you know people that not necessarily in the NHL world, but uh, just friends yeah. and family and people that uh, you know I've known for a while. So uh, kind of the whole range of people, and uh, yeah, it was uh, people had a lot of nice things to say, which and it was nice to kind of connect with them a bit. So a couple of things I want to get into right off the hop, and it, just to stay in the moment for a second, you you, you mentioned in one of the interviews that it, there was a moment where David Poyle, even in you know the disappointment of being eliminated, recognized you. I would love if you could just share wh- what that was like and then going right into the exit interviews, what those conversations were like for you. Yeah, so we, uh, we lost. We had an early game on f- last week, Friday, and uh, we lost. It was probably about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Um, it was it was tough. It was you know I, I wasn't playing in that game, but I may, I wanted to really wanted to make sure I was down in the dressing room when the guys came in because that was going to be I knew that was going to be my last time in an NHL mm. dressing room as a teammate. So I sat down in between the guys. Obviously, it wasn't a great feeling in the room after losing that game, but um, and it was emotional for me. It was a really emotional sitting there. Um, kind of the whole weight of that decision of you know not not playing anymore in the NHL that I love so much um, was, was going to be over. And um, I could barely make it through it, kind of left the room. And then, um, you know, later on, a couple hours later, we had a team meeting back at the hotel. And uh, David Poyle spoke, obviously very disappointed with, uh, with the result that we ended up with. And it's always kind of a somber meeting, but he did, uh, I thought that was, that, was, that was kind of unexpected, but, you know, quite neat that he had brought up that uh, just spoke a little bit about about me kind of congratulating me on a, on a great career wishing me the best in the future and you know he told a little story about one of the guys one of the other uh, young prospects had had mentioned um, earlier in the day in an exit meeting with him and uh, so yeah that was uh, that was really special and then and then we we transitioned right from there into um, our, our my exit meeting with with, with yeah. him which was uh, which was neat because you know David drafted me back in 2001 and uh, so we, we had a long history when I when left the team in 2010 um, we left on very very good terms he was uh, he even said he said I wish we could have kept you but we just weren't in the financial position to do it at the time and so we, we've we've kept a great relationship able to obviously come back and finish my career in Nashville and and it was neat to kind of walk through. Uh, we didn't really talk too much about the season or how my role was. Obviously, we didn't have to talk about, hey, you need to be better for next year or what? how's the team look for next year. So we didn't even go yeah. there. It was unlike any year-end meeting I'd ever had. And it was really neat to just kind of walk through the process, my thought process um, over the past year just with him of how I um, came to this decision to be very at peace with it and 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 how special it was to be in Edmonton in, in that bubble, uh, knowing that I was going to retire uh, and taking full advantage of just 
you know, connecting with, with old friends. It, uh, there's so much there. And it was such a unique situation. Let me start here. How many people knew, like, who knew you were retiring? Was this, like, common knowledge in the bubble? No, it wasn't. It was, uh, it started out as a very small circle of just my wife and I discussing it over the past few years, knowing it was coming, knowing it was going to be difficult and trying to prepare ourselves and our family for when that might be and, and how we wanted to do it. Um, you know, I was inspired by the way Daniel and Henrik Sedin um, went out. They kind of did it on their own terms mm-hmm. and went through that last year knowing. And I think it brought a sense of closure for them going into each building, knowing it was going to be their last time. And that's kind of the approach that I was hoping to take. And um, But so it was kind of just between my wife and I because it was nothing, nothing formal. At the start of the year, we are still... We like the idea of that. Um, we also like the idea of potentially coming back and um, maybe a year in Europe. And we said, well, let's just revisit this in February. And when we did in February, we were feeling um, you know, very confident that this was going to be the last year of, of NHL hockey for us and maybe Europe and maybe retire. And then with COVID happening, the Europe option kind of wiped itself off. But so it was, it was to the retirement. And, um, you know, we then once we were very pretty firm on on that decision um you know some of my closer friends on the team were asking what i was thinking and um so we had some discussions and they knew um i think a couple of the coaches know knew it was the kind of people that were asking close friends close family and um you know i think as things progressed into edmonton into the bubble more people are kind of wondering and asking and the conversation was a little looser and we had talked about it but um yeah we we just certainly didn't broadcast it it wasn't uh, something that uh um, you know, I was advertising that this was going to be my last thing. I didn't want it to be a, a distraction or it, didn't, it just didn't need to be really talked about. And, um, but, uh, you know, the people that it really mattered to, my wife and I and our family, we, we, we knew and were uh, you know, really at peace with that. What went into the conversations with your wife in terms of, of making this decision? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And um, I... I a lot of it, the majority of the decision fell into, uh, it was a family decision. Um, my wife and I, we got married early. We were 21 when we got married and had kids uh, 25. So our, our daughters, we have three daughters now, 8, 10, and 12. And they, um, you know, I feel very fortunate that they had been able to be a part of my career. Um, old enough to really remember it and sh- even shape them in some ways. I mean, they're friends with guys on my team. They'd come in there and they'd have jokes, inside jokes with a bunch of the guys. And <laughs> right. uh, My oldest daughter stood uh, with me on the blue line in Vancouver before a game for the anthem. My middle one did in Dallas. Um, the youngest one, we were skating around together before the Winter Classic this year. So they've, they've been a part of it all. Um, they're on the ice for my 1,000 games celebration. And uh, so it was real special, but at the same time now, um, going forward at the ages they're at, 8, 10, and 12, you know, the, the window of them being at home is, is shrinking. And the beauty of hockey is, man, it's, it's just been so good to our family, so many great life experiences, great cities to live in, traveled international with Hockey Canada, but you do say no to a lot of things too. And, um, you know, our kids haven't spent a Christmas with their grandparents ever in their life and um, Easter's and Thanksgiving's with ski trips with cousins and, and doing those types of things. I was missing school plays and um, tournaments and soccer games was starting to eat at me more and more. And I just felt it was becoming more important for me to be there. So those are that was probably the biggest part of what led into um, retiring from hockey give them some consistency of living in one town throughout a full seat for a full year, as opposed to moving twice a year to in season home, off season home. And then, and then it was the hockey part too. I knew I didn't have a lot of, a lot of years left in me. I wanted to leave the game, um, on my own terms if I could. And also I wanted to leave, um, still contributing at a high level, enjoying the game, enjoying the team. And, um, you know, this year just all those things came together and, it uh, it feels right. How did Europe? What, what what was the thought process there? Just to have that experience. Yeah, um, you know, I thought to the hockey thing was uh, I was still obviously I still I love hockey and love playing and we thought that'd be a neat thing. They have a, a lighter schedule, which we thought might be a a nice thing for an older body. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, 
but a, but a big part of it was the family experience was we thought that our kids were at a perfect age they're young enough where it won't mess up uh, school if that was going to be an issue uh, and, but but old enough to uh, get a lot out of that experience and putting them into a uh, whether it was a Swiss or a German school that they could just you know be with other kids integrate ourselves into a European city or community and then the opportunity to travel once you're over there too with a lighter schedule you can move around Europe pretty quickly and so we are really intrigued we talked to a lot of guys um, over the past year that had done that at the end of their careers with families and just had nothing but great things to say about it and uh, but with COVID now um, you know, the, the schooling thing, we thought, well, you know what, if things pick up over there, we're going to be, we, we don't want to be stuck in an apartment homeschooling our kids and not being able to travel. It's kind of the two of the biggest draws to going over there is a potential that might not happen. So we decided that uh, just, just to, to not do that. And with playing hockey throughout this summer, there's just, uh, it would have been difficult to, to pull it off. So we're, uh, we're going to just uh, retire here in Smithers. That's that's a pretty good option. So I, I, I would love to get your perspective because I mean your your daughters that that eight, ten, twelve range is is so much fun. And I and I was just as you were saying that, and you're, you're talking about what you're missing, and 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 I don't know if people realize, you know, that, like how much that can weigh on on people with families. And I'm, I was thinking about the Tuka Ross decision, and. You know, everyone's like, "Oh, he gets paid a ton of money." You know, that, that's he has a right, and you're like, "Boy, you don't realize how hard this is." When you see somebody make that decision, like, what's go- like? I imagine you're like, "Boy, I, I really feel that." I can I can relate, and uh, it was tough being away for me. I was away yeah. for 49, 52 days or so, um, and only getting to the qualifying round. That's crazy. Being it was in Nashville, fifty-two days. That's what it was for me. I had to get down to Nashville a bit early because my visa was expiring, and then prepping for camp and training camp in Edmonton. So it it adds up quick and. Yeah, it's uh, it's tough. It's tough being away from family, and you know, I know what my situation, the age my girls are at. I, I didn't want to be away from them, but um, certainly enjoyed the hockey thing. Um, but you don't know what other guys have going on. I mean, life life continues to go on, and um, you know, guys may have family issues or marriage issues or kid issues or just not necessarily even issues, just desires to to be with them and can't miss some things whether it's weddings or funerals or you know who knows what what is going on in a guy's life maybe he's building a house and he needed to be there I don't know but (laughs) right um you know when you're in the bubble there's there's no going home to check in it's you're there and and that's it so it's it's certainly tough and you know I think uh, maybe for a younger guy single guy it's probably not life isn't too much different it's probably a lot of fun but for guys with families um you know it can be a little more complicated I was talking to a coach right before he was leaving, and he said, "By the end of the qualifying round, it'll be the longest I've ever been away from my family." Like, you know, which is crazy. Like now, imagine trying to—you've—you've you've been in that grind where you're trying to win a cup for two months. Like, I don't even know if people realize what people are up against at this point. It's—it's uh, it's a long, it's the longest I've ever been away from mm. from my family, and uh, you know, you go to world championships, you're gone like two and a half weeks and then sometimes the families will come over and it seems right. like an eternity and this was three times that and I and we only made it through the qualifying round so I mean if you're looking at going to the Stanley Cup final which is where everybody wants to be but there's a massive sacrifice there um, you know wives are having to take care of their kids on their own with no school <laughs> right <laughs> no school going on let's not forget uh-huh. that so they've they've got their uh, their work cut out for them and yeah, that's a, that's a long haul. I mean, that's three months with, uh, you know, a little bit of pre-training camp, training camp, and, and all the rounds. I mean, that's June to October. That's a long shot. So what was your strategy during that stretch to make sure, like I was, I had a conversation with someone today, and they're like, when these teams start getting eliminated, and now you've got gap days where you're not, you don't even have the games to kind of distract you. Like there, there's some concern about just in terms of mental health and players dealing with that. Like what was your strategy to, does it just become immersing yourself in the hockey or it's like I got to try to strike this balance inside the bubble? Yeah, I mean, I was only there for 12 days mm-hmm. and uh, we were fairly busy with the qualifying round and practices. We didn't have a ton of down days, but it, we did have a couple. And yeah. and even in the time when I was in Nashville, kind of pre-training camp, we had some issues with our uh, testing. We had a couple positive tests. So we had some guys, including myself, that were on a 14-day quarantine because we came in contact with them so Mm -hmm. those those were really tough days and probably what you're you're getting at and 
Yeah, I mean, FaceTime is great. It's a nice modern uh, way of connecting, but it doesn't uh, doesn't do the trick. And it's uh, you have to get creative and find ways to keep yourself engaged and busy, whether it's playing some board games, getting some card games going, um, just forcing yourself to get out of your room and go have some conversations, go for dinner, make sure you're getting out because it's... Uh, the bubble is—it's a great setup. Like they've—they've they've done a great job. There's good food in there. The accommodations are nice. They've got um, activities of basketball, cornhole, ping pong, golf simulators. You can watch other games. So there is a lot to do. But right. I was thinking to myself, you know, after 12 days here, this bubble's—it's going to feel pretty small pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, like that's why I think. Like someone else said, like, like it's not going to be a team that wins it. That's won a cup or that's a veteran team. It's just going to be some young, hungry team. Like if you're just trying to handicap it. Yeah, no, that's uh, it's it's a different year, and uh, it's it's uh, there's a lot of what what used to be advantages might not be anymore. I mean, getting home ice and loud crowds and um, travel and different things that may have been advantages or disadvantages. Um, certainly, the the yeah, the goalposts have shifted in, in that regard. Yeah. All right. I want to take a quick break here. And then I want to, you mentioned leaving uh, under good um, terms with David Poyle and you never know how that's going to go when you leave. And that to me was one such a fascinating point in your career. So I want to jump right into that in one second, but let's take a quick break. Interest rates have hit record lows, which means it's a great time to refinance your student loans and see if you can lower your monthly payment, which I think we all would love to do. If you've been making the same monthly payment on your student loans for the last couple of years, odds are you could reduce your payment and save by refinancing with earnest. Even if you refinanced before, with today's low rate environment, most people could save by refinancing again. Checking your new rate is fast and easy. To start, complete a few questions online. It only takes two minutes. Then you'll get a personalized rate estimate without affecting your credit score at all. And there's no origination fee or any other fees. And now you can get a $100 cash bonus when you refinance a student loan with earnest.com slash full60. That's E-A-R-N-E-S-T dot com slash full60. Once again, that's a $100 cash bonus when you refi your student loan at earnest.com slash full60. It's not available in all states. Visit earnest.com slash full 60 for more details terms and conditions apply earnest student loan refinance loans are made by earnest operations llc nmls number 1204917 california financing law license number 6054788303 second street suite 401 north san francisco california 94107 visit earnest.com slash licenses for a full list of licensed states all right, so Dan, like one, you know, one of the things I, I, when you retired, you announced your retirement, and you know, people were making the requisite, you know, um, I wonder if the Penguins are going to retire his number or the Flyers, like the, you know, the, 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 you know, you had this this moment in time where where like you were front and center in free agency, and and you know, the two teams traded for your rights in Philly and in Pittsburgh. How was that experience as somebody, you know, again, you were playing in Nashville at the time. There's high-profile guys like Shea Weber and Ryan Suter. Um, what was that time of your life like as you were trying to kind of figure out what was next? Well, it was a bit of a roller coaster. Um, we, in my year in meetings, there was no negotiation with the Preds, and it was just kind of a mutual parting of ways. They, they didn't uh, have the finances at that time. Um, to, to make a deal work and even talking to David Poyle now he, he said you know I wish I could have I yeah you could have been a, you should have been, he said you should have been a predator forever hmm. and so you know, that was really nice nice to hear um, and yeah he did go on to trade my rights to Philadelphia first it was Philadelphia then, first yeah Philadelphia first yeah. and I was kind of shocked by that I didn't know that was coming and uh that was an interesting week. I had a lot of phone calls with their organization from top to bottom, uh, players, coaches, general manager, and uh, and 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 then it was to Pittsburgh the week after, and it was yeah. kind of the same. And um, you know, I didn't. Uh, They're both great organizations that I had interest in, but I had gotten to my myself to a point where I was a free agent and 
wanted to see what 29 other teams were were saying as well and right. i just had to wait i wanted to wait uh was it like about 10 more days and i had that opportunity and didn't want to just be with one team i didn't know a lot about them and um wanted the chance to hear if there's some teams that i was interested in vancouver being one i think uh, san jose was another team at the time that i was uh, interested in, in in playing for so I wanted to take the time to, you know, hear from everybody, and I told them I'm not ruling you guys out, but um, you know, want a chance to hear from all of my options that, you know, with my CBA rights that I've yeah. worked worked for, and uh, in the end, it uh, it came down to it was between Pittsburgh and and Vancouver at the time. It was um, uh, man, it was it was some crazy negotiating. I think <laughs> at the last minute they signed Paul Martin in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Um, and we signed with Vancouver is right around the same time. And, um, you know, once, once my name was on that paper with the Canucks, I, uh, I was like, man, well, this just feels so right. I can't believe I went through all these, uh, all the stress of free agency. I f just feel like I'm landed in the perfect spot. And how was there ever another option? Cause it just, it just felt right being the, the team that I grew up watching and uh, cheering for. And in my home province, it was, uh, yeah, it was pretty special then, and then I, st I still recall um, putting that jersey on for the first time was uh, it was you know just a real sense of pride and honor to wear it. I, if I remember correctly, they either signed or traded for Keith Ballard, which was like the signal that they were all like, "Were you like, what's happening here?" Do you remember that? I yeah, I, I do remember that, and um, that's, that's I, that may have been you know Vancouver was high on our list. I don't yeah. know if it was top on our list at that time. And I think that might have been, may have been one of the reasons because we weren't sure what their interest level might be. Right. Um, but yeah, it, it, that situation sure ended up working well. And man, those are uh, six great years we had in Vancouver for my hockey career and, and for our family. Yeah. I was, like, I, I think there was this perception that it was, you know, you, you know, that's what, what it was always going to be. You you going back to Vancouver because you're, you know, from Smithers, but that, that wasn't the case. Like, it wasn't foregone conclusion? No, it wasn't. Um, you know, after the fact, it seemed like, I can't believe we were thinking otherwise, but, um, yeah, during the process, it was, uh, free agency was a little bit different back then, too, because you didn't have that weak courting period. We, uh, we think it's in the West here in, in British Columbia, it's 9 a.m., chaos starts, and <laughs> we had no idea. We had a list of kind of, teams that we ranked that we thought might be good fits yeah but we had no idea who was going to call we had no idea who was interested and we hadn't talked to anybody so it was we we're going in completely blind and there is yeah there's a lot of things happened in uh, in a few hours there and life-changing decisions oh. life that uh, needed to be decided upon some of them in just a couple minutes because the way it was working is, you know, they have me on the phone on one line and another defenseman on the phone on the other line right. and they need an answer right now or they're moving to the next guy. And so it was, uh, it was a pretty stressful uh, couple hours there. Who, like, were you set up shop at home? Like, what was your process in handling that? Who, who's your agent? I should know this. I should have. Um, I'm with Newport Sports, uh, Wade Arnett. And um, yeah, we we're, we're set up at home. We don't have great cell service, so I had to give him my home number. I remember that, <laughs> yeah. and um, we talked the night before, and he said, "Okay, yeah, you know, it opens at nine. I'll probably give you a call around ten to give you an update on, on where things are at." And he called at like nine fifteen and just rattled off about six or seven teams and their offers, <laughs> and I was like, "What? <laughs> was not expecting this." And um, so, yeah, and that's kind of how the day went. Things just kept evolving, and then teams would be off the table because they had signed a D man and new teams would come in we never expected and teams that i wanted had no interest and so it was just this it was a wild couple hours i i always assumed that half of those were already in the drawer by because those deals get done so fast we talk about that much money over that much term and like you said life decisions so it's really interesting just to hear that that you're, well now you're it hearing, is now yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they changed that process, so now it is like that. But uh, my experience with it was—I don't know—maybe some guys were doing some backdoor stuff then, but we uh, we did it uh, the way it was supposed to be, and it was uh, it was an interesting day. And and so from my mind, in in you know from the outside, and we don't know each other, but like like I think of that stretch of time as like peak Dan Hamhuis, right? Like you're now 
you're outside of the spotlight of not I don't say spotlight. You're outside of the shadow. I would say of you know some great defensemen in Nashville. You're this key player on on probably the greatest team of that era to not win it all. Like that is that like do you look back and you were like that was that was me at my hottest level like that window of time. Yeah, I mean, I was really coming into um, my prime, my prime years. I was 27 when I signed with the Canucks. Yeah. And, um, and it was just a good fit. Um, you know, the team was doing really well. Um, even on that team, I mean, I wasn't, I wouldn't say I was our number one defenseman on that team. I think a couple of years later, I was voted as the top D-man, but I think because a couple other guys got hurt too. But we, we just had we didn't really have like standout number one D men on that team. We had a group of about five or six of us that were all rock solid. And, uh, yeah. And I think the, the team success really allowed me to, um, thrive in that. Um, our forwards were so good. We were so deep up there. It made it easier to play as a D man when you're playing offense, you don't have to do so much defense and, Right. Um, yeah, I, I think I really just thrived in the in those systems and and with those players in in the prime of my career. Did you dislike that team before you would have joined them? Like I, I just remember teams <laughs> opposing teams hated that Canucks team. Oh yeah, and I think I hated them a little bit more because all my buddies back home were cheering for them, so it made me <laughs> always want to see them lose and. But they had guys that were just easy to dislike. I mean, they had like Yarko Rutu and Matt Cook and Burroughs and Kessler and Bieksa. Yep. And just a real easy team not to like. And uh, and then, of course, I go. I think actually Alex Burroughs and I, we fought. We had a fight uh, the year before I went there uh, when I was my last year in Nashville. And then, of course, I get there and you learn to find out that they're all uh, really good guys and great, great teammates. So my. Uh, my sentiments changed very quickly. One eighty. Yeah, and and right away, I mean the the in we've I've had people on where we talk about that that Stanley Cup final, and you, you know there's there's Canucks fans that will swear to their grave that if that hip check on Lucic is different, you know that series is different. What do you remember about that play? Yeah, it was. Um... It's just one of those things that uh, happens in the moment. I was just so dialed in and in the zone. It's just he dumped that puck in, and I seen a chance to lay a big hit on him. And um, it was a fant- it was a fantastic hit. It just didn't work out so well for me as a big man on my body. I ended up tearing the groin off the bone and the hernia, so there was no coming back from that. Um, that's a big part of playoffs. So I mean. Yep. Having a team that can you look at all the teams that win the cups and for the most part they're they're pretty healthy, and um, you know I don't I don't know things things may have been different. I mean we were we were up two nothing and three two we had we had a chance with the with the players that were out there and but yeah you know sometimes uh, an injury can change things it changes the guy's D partner and changes the power play can change the penalty kill and you got to adjust and yeah that's a, that's a huge part of uh, of success and winning. Did you know right away? Like, was it one of those things you're like, "Oh gosh, this is really bad." Uh, no, I didn't really. Um, it felt like I got yeah. kicked, uh, kicked in the, you know, and that yeah. was that was the feeling. I had that that feeling in my stomach. I was like, "Okay, I just need to get off and recover." And even the doctors like, "Yeah, it should settle out here." I think I had a. They tried to do a couple things, like give me a shot of some sort, and and uh, to try to settle things down. And it's like, man, it's just not going away. And like it should, and it's like, no, oh, it's it's not. And, so I finally eventually got undressed, and uh, the next day I went for MRI, and that's when they're like, ha, "You weren't even close." He's like, "Your oh leg gosh. is just hanging on here by uh, by a thread." So he's like, "Yeah, you are. You will not be playing." Is that something you communicate to the team? Like, how did that process go? Now that you know, I guess AV lets them know, eh? Um. Yeah, I'm sure the doctor probably called our our head trainer. Head trainer lets uh lets everybody know, and. Um, it was, I mean, I won't forget that moment in the doctor's office when he came in. I was in, I found that news out. I think uh, I shed a few tears in there. I mean, to make, that's a childhood dream to play in the Stanley Cup Finals and to be out of it after game one was, uh, it was crushing. Yeah. Um, well, I don't want to harp on a, a you know, a, a low point. So a, a few years later, you're in Sochi competing for the gold medal with one of the greatest teams ever assembled. What, what, when you look back on that experience, what stands out the most? 
Well, making that team was uh, something I was really proud of and it was a huge accomplishment. I mean, the roster was unbelievable. and um, So that, that was that was a big deal. And, and going over there, um, man, it was the way that Sochi had, the, the Olympic Committee had that place set up. They basically built all these new facilities from scratch in a bubble with the Olympic mm-hmm. Village attached to it. The experience was amazing. We could, my wife came over with me and it was so easy and convenient just to take in other uh, sporting events within that bubble and even up to the mountains was real easy for for us and so we took in a ton we watched so many um, different sports and all the Canadians compete and Canada was very successful at that Olympics so we were in our full Canada gear cheering on and um, and then to, p- to play in some of the games I didn't play a ton but just to be a part of it and on the bench and have a few shifts here and there it was uh such a great experience not just being part of the hockey team but being part of the bigger canadian olympic team that sense of team and camaraderie of you know us going to their events to cheer them on and them coming to ours and then you know hanging out in the um, team canada olympic like the olympic team lounge after and to chat with the other athletes and get to know them that was something i didn't really expect going in there but was a really really neat um, experience and then of course with just all the success that all the Canadian Olympians had, and of course us winning that gold medal, the, the party we had at the end after our game, we we went right from our game in the dressing room to champagne on the bus. It was like a one minute ride over to the closing ceremonies, walking through, and by that time we knew almost all the Canadian Olympians, we were walking through with them, and then we went right from there, we walked back through about a 30 minute fireworks show, back to our, um, Olympic Village where the Canadian dorms were and they had a huge outdoor party for us and highlight videos with music and it was one of the coolest nights of my life. That's amazing. Um, I, I, I want to rewind a second because you kind of glossed over it, but trying out for that team, I mean, that's that, like, that's the hardest team in the world to make. What was that process like? And, and you know, try, like, did you have a previous relationship with Mike Babcock at all or what, what was it like to try to kind of earn that spot? Well, this is a, share, this is a story that I share at my kids' schools when I go to talk to them about career day, talk to them about okay. goal setting. And um, in 2005, I was working with my trainer and um, the Vancouver had just been awarded the 2010 Olympics a couple of years before that. And uh, so we're like, well, this would be an amazing goal to try to make the, the 2010 Olympic team to play in our home province. So we said, yeah, that'll be our goal. And worked at it, worked at it. And uh, in 2009, I got invited to the, uh, the summer camp of uh, Hockey Canada, but that in December or early January, December, when they picked the team, I got a phone call and said that uh, I was one of the last cuts and uh, wasn't going to be on the team. So pretty kind of disappointed, um, went through the rest of that year and then the following year went to Vancouver and kind of got, was re-motivated, um, you know, with probably with the change of scenery and, um, and I kind of wanted to go for the 2014 uh, Olympic team. And uh, so that was my new goal. My goal went from uh, like a six, five or six year goal to a nine or 10 year goal. And in uh, 2013, I again went to the summer camp um, in Calgary with with that. And and then in that fall, I was working with uh, this this lady. She, we brought her in with our team to do some work with us, some off ice development, personal development things. And we were talking about goal setting and, and I still have the little book and I wrote in there um, I will I will make the Canadian Olympic team and I will win gold. And uh, I remember sharing that with some guys, except for there's a bunch of Swedes and Finns on our team, so I didn't share the, the second part with them, but winning the gold. <laughs> but, um, and then in January this time, I got the phone call that I that I made the team. And uh, so I it was, uh, and that's about. And then I said, yeah. Then I of course went to Sochi and won the gold medal, and that's when I bring out the gold medal for the kids in the in the class and. So it's kind of a neat story, but it's about goal setting and that part about believing and saying it out loud and being persistent of, you know, a five-year goal turns into a 10-year goal and ends up working out. So it's a, so it's kind of a neat story to share with the kids. Who called to let you know that you'd made the team? It might have been Kevin Lowe. Okay. I, I don't know if I was even listening. You said he made the team. <laughs> I was going to say, that just, must have been just a blur. Things went blurry, Yeah. <laughs> 
that's that's great and and you still have the journal like i love that that's a what a great story yeah i do I, and i have the journal and i bring it to the kids class and i'll show them where i wrote it and uh so yeah it's, it's it is kind of a neat story all right so that's the perfect segue because i do want to get into your office stuff and so let's take a quick break and then i want to dive into all of that today's show is sponsored by artifact Artifact sets you up with one of their personal interviewers to capture stories about important people or things in your life. Think of it like a podcast episode about whatever you want. And I was very excited because I did my own Artifact, and I want to share a little bit of the story with you. Artifact interviewed me about my career, my decision to leave ESPN and go to The Athletic, and about the process of writing my book, Behind the Bench, it was so much fun. A, just, I mean, everybody likes talking about themselves, right? So that was fun going through that process, um, you know, conjuring up memories that I hadn't thought of in a long time, including how I got started in the business. And they went ahead and they've got the episode done. It turned out fantastic. And I want you to hear it and give it a listen. And I'm going to share the URL with you. And it's a little wonky to do over a podcast. So I'm going to share it on Twitter too. But if you go to heyartifact.com slash creations slash craig hyphen custance hyphen one that's heyartifact.com slash creations slash craig dash custance dash one you can listen to my basically my life story as an npr podcast i guess would be the best way to describe it it turned out great the whole process is a lot of fun and you can do these for you someone in your family um, it, it makes a great birthday, wedding, anniversary gift. I'm already thinking, like, what a cool thing to do with my parents for Mother's Day or Father's Day. It would be amazing to have these artifacts for people in my family. And uh, it, it was great. So if you're ready to make an artifact of your own, use the code FULL60 to get $40 off your first one. That's heyartifact.com and use the code FULL60 to get 40 off. I would encourage you to go to the website, check out some of the other samples, check out mine, and um, it, it's a really cool product. Uh, I'm a fan. All right, so Dan, you've—I mean—you've always been super active off off ice charity work. I mean, you mentioned speaking in in you know the classrooms and, and like where where does that come from? Like where does that that you know? I, I think people take it for granted. Yeah, you have this, you have a platform, but you've always been very intentional about using it. Where does that come from? Um, oh, it's probably probably from my upbringing. Um, you know, my, the way my parents brought us up. Um, you know, our our Christian faith was always really important to us, and, and I think a combination of that. I always felt, um, you know, just the the desire to want to give back. I was, you know, very blessed with the, the platform, as you mentioned, like a platform that you have as a professional athlete and an NHL player, and, and also financially too with the money that we make. And um, I, I just always wanted to use that as best I could to make our communities better, whether it was in Nashville or Vancouver or Northern BC, Dallas, and, and make the biggest impact we could with people in the community, but also, you know, guys on our team too, you know, young guys who just felt... Uh, yeah, I think it really became, you know, my purpose was was bigger than hockey. It was, and, you know, I always wanted to do well and be the best player I could, but I felt my purpose was more in making a positive impact on others, whether it was, you know, like I said, in the dressing room or in the community around me. So the NHL and, like, the Predators and the Canucks and the Stars, they, they're their community found their their foundations and the people that work in their community departments they do such a fantastic job of giving players these opportunities to go into the community. They, they make us look so good too. And, you know, just simply <laughs> going to the hospital and wearing the Jersey, you know, to, whether it's just, you know, putting a smile on a kid's face because of that or having a conversation with a family. Um, and, and other times it's, you know, donating money and just kind of feeling that out where, where the need was, how we could make the biggest impact. And, um, yeah, it's something my wife and I, it's always being really important to us to do that um, wherever we go. And, and that's something that, you know, I don't want to change going into the future in retirement. I just like to see it as, you know, hockey is what I was doing. My purpose is bigger than that. And my purpose continues to go on as hockey is over. And um, I'll find a different uh, circle of, of people to hopefully, um, you know, 
encourage and positively impact, whether it's financially or with time or mentoring or, or just using our, our experiences that we've we've gotten to or what we've gained through the life that we've got to live. So, like, your on-ice accomplishments are very public, right? We see the gold medals or the Stanley Cup finals and... and and, and so it's, you know, we, we, we can share those with you. What was one moment off ice when you're in a hospital? Like, do you have one that you sit there and go, I'm so glad I was able to get that opportunity to, to serve that group or serve that kid? Like, which one, what moment is going to stand out to you the most when you look back? Um, oh, man, there, there's, there's been a lot. I mean, there's, there's some families that I knew from Smithers that were in the hospital in Vancouver at the time that we had a chance to visit and spend time with. And, you know, I won't forget those. And, um, there's some, you know, there's a guy in Nashville that I was um, good friends with, uh, Clay Butler. He's, uh, I was introduced to the Best Buddies program, which partners up people with kids with Down syndrome. And him and I met in about 2008, and we've kept our friendship going all the way through till now. And uh, so, like, that's something that's, you know, it's been really cool to have him to games and participate in that. I had a big involvement with uh, Canucks Autism Network while I was there. Um, doing a lot of fundraising stuff and working with some of the kids at, at different events. Um, and, uh, I mean, it's just, it's been really neat, actually, just e even in retirement now, I've got a lot of text messages and um, things from um, players and different people that, um, you know, maybe have been affected through community events that uh, I was at and, um it's just neat to see, I mean, not, not to like brag about it, but it's, just, no, it's right. just neat to see that at the time when you're doing it, maybe you don't realize the impact you have. And I think mm -hmm. it's just a, it's inspirational and a great life lesson to just to know that sometimes the little things do count. And I've had some text messages this week where people have mentioned some, some of these things. And at the time I didn't think it was a very big deal, but for them to reach out 10 years later, six years later, a couple of years later and say, Hey, that that really meant a lot. I was like, wow, you know, and that's kind of inspiring. A great life lesson going forward to know that, you know, little things and taking time do make a big difference um, for people. Whether it's people in the community, or even even my own teammates, I had some young young guys that were young guys, um, you know, ten years ago, and maybe we had them over for dinner. Didn't think too much of it, but you know, they they send a text just this week and say, hey that meant a lot to me my wife and i now we're that now we're the veterans on the team and you know we think what would the ham uses have done and we're like wow like that's that's a pretty cool thing to hear so um yeah it's, it's meant a lot it's been a special week hearing some of that stuff and and also just you know it's 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 rewarding it's a nice feeling to know that uh, all that all those things um, made a difference for people along the way the Retirement can be really hard with players, and and I don't I, I don't sense it'll ever be the case with you. But when you talk about your your purpose continuing into ret retirement, how does it change now? Right when you remove hockey from the equation. Well, <laughs> it's yeah, it's it's going to be a challenge. I mean, hockey was so special, um, but that, I think that's a thing that's developed in me as a person more so. Of, um, in the last few years, 10 years or so is really become having a more defined purpose and recognizing that, you know, hockey is, is not where I get my value or, or worth. It's, 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 it's what I do. It, it can feel good when you're having good days and it feels terrible when you're having bad days. And, but, uh, you know, when you have a higher purpose of, of what you want to do with your life, I think you're able to get through those ups, ups and downs a little bit easier. And, and my, my hope is that going forward is that, you know, that was, if that was my purpose through my hockey career, that's, that can, just because the goals and assists and the wins and the, and that stuff are going to stop the, you know, that purpose can continue on into where I am now. And I'm going to have a new circle of people that I'll be around and, um, you know, ho hope to continue to live out those things that are what I feel is my purpose and what's important. Now, do you think you'll still stay connected to the game, or are you going to be one of those guys that's like, "Hey, we haven't heard from Dan in like five years"? <laughs> I would like to. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I don't see myself getting into coaching or anything in the next couple of years. The priority will be spending time with uh, with family, um, potentially down the road when they're a little bit older. I could see myself getting back into it. Um, but uh, you know, like the Canucks Alumni Association, the Predators Alumni, they they do a lot. Uh, 
Uh, the Canucks in particular will do a lot all through the province and in, up, up into my community here in Smithers. So I think that would be a, you know, a great way to kind of stay connected into the game and still make a difference with the, all those um, community outreach opportunities that the Alumni Association takes part in. And I'm also involved in the ownership group with the Prince George Cougars and mm-hmm. uh, the WHL. So there's um, certainly be connected into the hockey world um, through that. How did you do, you, do you enjoy ownership? Do you enjoy that side of it? Um, yeah, I do. I haven't taken like a huge role in it because I've been playing okay. hockey. So I've been, sure. been, been fairly distant. I have learned uh, some, some lessons in business and some lessons in, in hockey, some good, some bad, and so, some what not to do and some what to do. But um, <laughs> right. it, it's been cool to be a part of as an organization that treated me very well. And um, it's very grateful for that city and everything it did. And, um, just hoping, you know, I think one of the biggest things why Eric and I got involved with it is we want to continue that legacy and continue that uh, providing that opportunity as a great place for young kids to come and play and, and develop and hopefully, you know, chase their dreams of playing the NHL. Now, are you still involved with the resort with Willie Mitchell? Yes. Yeah. And um, yeah, that's been that's been fun. It's been fun to be a part of because we, well, self like we, we love to go visit Tofino. It's just such a now it's given us a great excuse to go down there and vacation for a week or so. And um, the same thing, not incredibly involved because of my distance right. with with a job. Willie's been very hands on. He's done an incredible job uh, with the resort and. Uh, so yeah, I mean, with with the time now and more flexibility in my schedule, I hope to be at more home games with the Cougars and um, be around a little bit more. And same with Tofino to have some more flexibility to just to be around. I don't think there's really a specific role that they have sitting there waiting for me, but to right. just to to be around our staff and to understand the business and start to learn a little more would be uh, something I'd be interested in. You were you've been described in this may be more of a reflection of how you were growing up, but as a restless spirit. Would you agree with that? Was that how you were as a kid? Uh, oh, interesting. I, I don't know. I was. Uh, I know I was a pretty quiet and shy kid. I think I had uh, a pretty strong competitive desire within me. Maybe that's where that might come from. I was. Um, yeah, I mean, I love I love sports, all kinds of sports, whether it was baseball and hockey that was organized, or if it was simply some sort of pickup backyard dart game, lawn darts, or <laughs> foot throwing footballs with my dad. It was, uh, you know, he, he may have instilled that into me, or I would say, genetically, it probably came down from him and my mom, but he fueled it too because every little thing we played or invented had a score and a tally and. We were playing a series, and everything was up to ten. So, um, it's always, always been competitive. That's fu- I not to get sidetracked, but my, I heard a story about your dad about him throwing out rocks at the lights at the arena in Smithers that you, <laughs> maybe your grandfather was helping build or something. Is that a yeah? He story? might have been a bit of a troublemaker when he was young. Yeah. <laughs> maybe he was the restless spirit. Yeah, that's great. Well, let, let me wrap up with that with. With growing up, so for for listeners that don't know Smithers and, and aren't familiar, you know, because a lot of Americans are listening, like, what was, what's that town like, and what was it like, and how do you think it shaped you into the person you are? Um, well, it's a small town. We were up in northern BC, about a 12-hour drive north of Vancouver, but you have to remember these roads are small and windy and around mountain ranges, so as a crow flies, it's not not as far, but uh, yeah, we're, we're up there. It's... Um, town i think it's listed as five thousand. serves probably an area of 10 so it does have some pretty great amenities we got a, like we have two hockey rinks now we have a ski hill and um so there it's it's a wonderful place to live i think growing up it's um, quite blue collar um a lot of parents volunteered a ton of time to make hockey programs and sports programs work and so you're very i think you're just always you're well cared for by the community you're raised by a community um i think you're learn to be very grateful for what what you had and I think that certainly um, shaped me as as a kid and um, and it's been a place that I've loved coming back to it's a beautiful community it's in the mountains there's lakes there's great fishing on the rivers that run through here and so as our kids have gotten older um, you know we've we've really enjoyed um, you know, camping in the summer spending time on the lake fishing and you know now I think a new activity for us might be skiing but we have a lot of family a lot of friends here and it's it's a very active community mountain biking's big something i've really enjoyed so i'm 
looking forward to trying a lot of new things and doing it with my family and so yeah that's kind of that's kind of smithers in a nutshell it's really a, a town of four seasons too i mean you get great summer activities you get great winter activities fall spring so looking forward to seeing what that's going to look like in our lives i love what you mentioned it's kind of blue collar and everyone's it, it I, I was watching people from your hometown interviewed and they were like i i don't even know if he stood out that much compared to the rest of us like there seemed to be this like they, they didn't want to put you on a pedestal too much yeah, and I think that's why I've always enjoyed coming back is because um, I think people in this community are very proud of what that I'm from here and what I've right. accomplished in my career. But um, I like the fact that I'm still treated as the guy that grew up on Toronto Street and First Avenue, and that's uh, so it's it's pretty cool. I think that's why I've, yeah, that's why my wife and I we we feel comfortable here in in this community, and um, we have a lot of great friends. Well, Dan, thanks for doing this, first of all, and congratulations on a great career, and I know you're, you're going to enjoy what's next for you. Thanks a lot for having me. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun. I want to thank Dan Hamhuis for joining the program. It was, it was really cool to walk down memory lane with, with Dan. A, an incredible career, an understated guy, like one of those guys that maybe didn't get all the attention he deserved, but when you talk to anybody that played with him, or coached him they he's the kind of player that everybody loved to have on their side um incredible professional incredible career um really looking forward to see what he does next um so thanks again dan for, for joining the podcast before we wrap up i would just encourage you to make sure you're listening not only to two-man advantage when it comes out every wednesday but every monday tuesday thursday and friday at 10 a.m eastern throughout the 2020 stanley cup playoffs scott burnside is doing a playoff version of two-man advantage and he's bringing in our writers it's so fun like it's 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 fun to watch the games and then listen to scott chat about analysis and what happened in that format so definitely check it out make sure you're subscribing to two-man advantage to get those in your feed and while you're at it make sure you're subscribing to the full 60 and wherever it is you listen to podcasts and i would really encourage you to if you have the time leave a review or give a rating and i'm going to give a special shout out and acknowledgement to reviewer drew way only because he gave five stars even though the review says the full 60 is almost good as blue shirts breakaway my arch rival podcast if you're a rangers fan you i guess begrudgingly you should listen to blue shirts breakaway is it better than the full 60 i don't know that's that's debatable but drew Thank you. And I don't want to turn our review section into podcast wars, but Drew, I appreciate the five stars. Um, even if your your judgment of Blue Shirt Breakaway is a little suspect, so thanks for that review. Thanks to everybody else who has left reviews and wherever it is you listen to podcasts and for subscribing. All right, that's it. Thanks again to Dan for joining the podcast. Thank you for listening. Have a great week.